the media has taken a, a hit and it doesn't deserve that. You know, what we do in community newspapers and community media around the country is uh, not what you see on cable news uh, channels in prime time. That's entertainment. That has nothing to do with that. We're part of our community. From NCPR, this is Northwards. People, ideas, and conversations from and about northern New York, Vermont, and beyond. I'm Mitch Tyke. Support for the Northwards podcast comes from St. Lawrence University, where a strong liberal arts tradition with real-world applications equips students to solve 21st century challenges. stlawu.edu. It's not every small-town newspaper that wins a Pulitzer Prize, but that was the case for the Glens Falls Post-Star in 2009, at a time when the paper had not only grown in size, but also in national stature. It was also right in the middle of Ken Tingley's two-decade tenure as editor, which ran until his retirement in 2020. Like most small city daily newspapers, though, the last decade or so has exacted a heavy toll on the Post-Star, with multiple changes in publishers and declining revenues, and today the staff is a fraction of its former size. Ken Tingley says that now-familiar downhill spiral of newspapers is dangerous to the health of their communities. His latest book is called The Last American Newspaper, and he joins us on the line to talk more about it. Great to have you with us. Well, thank you. What made the Post-Star such a strong newspaper and, and I guess such an important newspaper to the community in its heyday? We set the bar high. And, and, and I was very lucky in that respect. When I became editor in 1999, I had been sports in sports my whole career. So I needed some help. And I was very lucky to have some very strong editors around me, guys like Will Doolittle, who started in North Country and the Adirondack Daily Enterprise. His dad owned the paper down there. Bob Condon, who was the city editor and Fred Daly and Mark Mahoney. Having those kinds of people around it uh, was was invaluable. The other thing is, I, I just think when you have small town communities, I think hunger for that type of reporting. They, they want to know uh, not only about what's going on in the town, but they want to be able to weigh in and they want to be part of the discussion. And I, I think that's uh, something that we're starting to lose. The the phrase that used to get said a lot about local newspapers that we don't hear nearly as much anymore is the idea of being the news source of record for a community. Well, yeah, and I, I think uh, it's getting more and more difficult that for newspapers. You know, we've had such a, an erosion of resources on all the papers, and I'm sure the Plattsburgh paper and the Adirondack Daily Enterprise and the Post-Star, they're all very similar in that they've lost a great deal of their staffing, and I'm sure it's, it's not that much different in the broadcasting end. We had 45 people in our newsroom at one point, probably around 2006, 2007. You know, now they have eight, uh, seven. Uh, you know, so you went as a newspaper, we covered in not only Glens Falls, we covered an entire region, you know, from Lake George down to Saratoga Springs and Washington County and into the Adirondacks, even into Ticonderoga and Scroon Lake. You can't do that anymore. You know, it's they've pretty much relegated to kind of covering the core market. And that means that you're already seeing so many small communities that are becoming news deserts. 
Having worked in a variety of news settings over the years myself, it was it was really interesting to read about what brought the various people that populated your newsroom to the Post Star. I mean, papers like that have never been the kinds of places where you know uh, multi-decade news veterans typically go. So it sounds like there were just a lot of remarkable people you worked with who were either at the beginning of their career or who who came from a pretty non-traditional news background. What did it take to shape all those people into into the people that really you know, set the standard for for newspapers your size? Well, I think, you know, you, you start with kind of having that talent just at its base and that commitment. And I think, you know, what's so disturbing to hear so often these days when people are talking about fake news and we're the enemies of the people and those types of things is that commitment. And I, and I think that comes through in the book about what especially the editors were willing to do to make this a, a, a better place. It's what I think kind of formed the, the whole standard for our success. We set the bar high to do in-depth journalism that would change our little corner of the world. And we were not immune to the problems of we had to hire young reporters who didn't have a lot of experience right out of college sometimes, sometimes from a weekly. Mark Mahoney came from a radio station, uh, you know, so th that happened a lot. And but our goal was to then mold them and make them and set the bar high. And when you have reporters who are ambitious and want to succeed, uh, they do amazing things. And uh, we have many success stories of reporters who went on and did fantastic things and went on to bigger newspapers and, and all kinds of uh, success in the business of journalism. The communities the paper covers or certainly covered in uh, in its heyday are not huge. Um, and yet, as I read this book, I'm struck by just how many stories of national significance the paper has brought to the fore over the years, whether it was locally significant stories or stories that really had national resonance. Yeah, there, you know, a couple of examples. In, in 2002, you know, the state of Vermont had uh, a really contentious discussion about same-sex marriage, civil unions. And uh, one of our reporters was paying attention to that. It ended up writing a story called Growing Up Gay in the North Country and really talking to a lot of gay people about what it was like to grow up in small towns in the Adirondacks where you didn't have role models, where you were different, and it was difficult. You know, this is 2002. And same-sex marriage in New York wasn't passed until 2011, I believe. I mean, so nine years later, that discussion was ongoing. And even then, it was still contentious. It cost uh, Roy McDonald, who's a state senator down here, his job because of his vote on that. And then even just this past year, did the federal finally pass uh, same-sex marriage as well. So it took, there's a 20-year discussion going on there. And the other one was, uh, you know, back in, 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 was it 2007, 2008, a guy in the community from the Council for Prevention brought to us and said, I'm seeing more people addicted to pills than I've ever seen in my life. We had never heard of OxyContin. We didn't know anything about that. We didn't know anything about the Sackler family. And we were like, I think one of the first uh, newspapers to really do a story about uh, the opioid epidemic and how it led to heroin uh, addiction and those kinds of things. And, you know, you're just way ahead of the curve on that. And the community responded with that. Everyone had a story about that. They knew somebody or had heard of someone. And uh, I think it made a huge difference uh, in how uh, addiction was perceived and the problem that it was. 
I think about uh, working in local news in a small size city in Arizona on 9-11. And one of the things that really struck me in reading this book was remembering the time when local papers were also really a window on the broader world. You wrote about 9-11 and how the paper covered it. Can you talk about that day and and how the Post-Star approached covering 9-11? Well, you know, I I think it's obvious that none of us had ever approached anything remotely like that. I was, what, two years into my tenure as editor, uh, and I remember coming in that morning and getting a phone call to turn on the TV and look at what's happening. And we all stood there for five minutes or something. And, uh, you know, when I saw the replay of, I think, uh, the second plane hitting the tower, and I said, that's not a small private plane. That's that's intentional. And I turned to our feature uh, writer, who was the only one in the office, and I told her, Martha, go to Albany Airport. And she said, well, what do you want me to do when I get there? I said, you'll know when you get there. We didn't really know how we would cover it. But I mean, I started out thinking, OK, we're going to the, the wires are going to cover this. We're going to run uh, one or two maybe local reaction stories, and that'll be it. By the end of the day, the Postar had published 24 local stories. We had found a man who was local guy hiding in a basement of a building in the Twin Towers. We found another guy who was uh, at the Pentagon who had escaped just barely with his life uh, when the plane hit there. Uh, Those were front page stories. And all, you know, the stories just coming and every reporter came into the office and responded with their own angle on stories and how people were feeling and how people were reacting to it. And then, you know, the the publisher came out and said, we have to do an extra edition to explain this. And we had an extra edition on top of that. So it was, you know, one of those just incredible days. I, you know, I had the unique experience years later. I think I was at the Smithsonian and they had an exhibit on 9-11 and I was watching uh, a lot of the television coverage. And I'm like, I had no idea this was what was being reported, what was said, because I was so tuned in to my own job and reacting to the news that was flying at me every it seemed like every five minutes something new was happening uh so it's taken a long time to kind of catch up uh to what happened on 9-11 for those of us who kind of lived through it why was it so important for you to write this book well i think uh, a lot of it is the recent times i think the media has taken a a hit and uh and and it doesn't deserve that you know what we do in community uh, newspapers and community media around the country is uh, not what you see on cable news uh, channels in prime time. That's entertainment. That has nothing to do with that. We're part of our community. We take this job very seriously. And I really felt that people were starting to forget the stories that we had did that made a difference. Things like uh, the heroin series. We did a series on domestic violence after one of our, uh, our editorial page editor had witnessed a murder where a husband had killed his wife in broad daylight at a convenience store. So I wanted them to remember that, you know, this was the type of journalism that was being done, that was helping the community, that was keeping you informed. And more importantly, to ask that question, who's going to do it in the future? There are several stories you write about that that kind of seem emblematic of how the climate has changed for the relationship between the media and the citizens at large. And I'm thinking especially about uh, how the Post-Star covered the rise of Congresswoman Stefanik and also how it covered the financial crisis at the hospital in Glens Falls. What makes those two stories especially significant in your eyes? Well, I think, you know, they, they were kind of pushback. And I, and I guess, you know, in both cases, you have uh, community institutions that are butting heads. 
You know, in the case of Congresswoman Stefanik, you know, we came out during the 2018 campaign. You know, we were really growing kind of tired of the uh, the the tenor of of the debate going on. It was all very negative, and the campaign advertising was horrible, and nobody wanted to see it. And there was no talk of the issues. And so, you know, our editorial board, which is different than the newspaper reporters at large, decided to ask both candidates not to lie. Now, I, I kind of thought this was ingenious. I thought this was a really great way. Who's going to you know say, no, no, no way. I'm not going to lie. Uh, and um, yet Congressman Stefanik never took that pledge. <laughs> you know, so she took it from there, I think, and was, con- you know, regularly bashing uh, our reporting, not only our reporting, I think. Uh, all the newspapers across the North country saying we're all the left wing media liberal, you know, none of it's true, but you know, that's what the convenient uh, talking points are. So I think that's, that's unfortunate. And uh, you know, she deserves a lot of the blame for, I think, undermining the reputations of uh, and credibility of local news stations. In the case of the hospital, again, another community institution where, you know, they came out to us and told us how they were going losing a great deal of money. They had closed two departments, were cutting back on outpatient care. This is all affecting the community. Glens Falls is a hub of the for, for medical around the entire re- region. When we started reporting on it, and we started hearing that the numbers were even worse than what they were reporting, and things were worse, and then they denied it <laughs> and, and repeatedly denied it, and we had, you know. We were having employees who were coming through this. And they had a billing system that didn't work. And I mean, it was a lot of problems. And it was a shame. It was probably one of the most discouraging times of my career to see someplace like the community hospital going after the newspaper the way they did. And uh, it stood up. That reporting has stood up. And unfortunately, the, the hospital has not been held accountable since then either in terms of you know, we have not seen any, I haven't seen any financial information at all. How are they doing? And we know that hospitals are struggling. That's and, important to people. And, and at the same time, this was a case where where the money behind uh, the newspaper no longer had your back necessarily. Well, yeah, uh, certainly at the end. Uh, that's where we, we, we felt like the publisher was protecting the hospital uh, by the end of it. But, you know, we kept fighting the good fight. We weren't going to be cowed by that. And we continue to stand up for the, the journalism and the facts uh, that, that matter. So when I wake up in the morning, and I, I imagine you as well, I can turn on my phone and scan the headlines in the New York Times or the Washington Post or the Wall Street Journal, um, listen to the news on the radio or on an app. Uh, how do you describe to people what's missing then from not having a robust local newspaper waiting on the doorstep in the morning anymore or, or when they get home from work in the evening? I think it starts with the depth journalism. You know, I, I think there there's certainly there's enough weekly uh, newspapers and digital uh, components that you can piece together a lot of the, the information that you need if you're willing to find, go to three or four different sources. The, the great thing about a, a paper like the Post Star over the years was it was one stop shopping. You had everything there right at your fingertips. And I think the biggest thing that's missing that missing now is, you know, we, we used to do an in-depth story in every Sunday paper and and sometimes a, a huge three and four part series or a project, you know, as some of the ones I, I, I talked about that really got people thinking about what was going on. And, and, and we're not seeing that uh, hardly at all. And, you know, that's going to lead to problems, you know, and even, you know, the other part is just not covering a lot of the community meetings. You know, I, I found out this year that the town of Queensbury, where I live, 
is going to increase taxes 56 percent well that's amazingly large figure if we had ever reported that in, in, in the, when i was editor people would have been coming out of the woodwork they would have been screaming they would have been calling the the supervisor and the town council they would have been showing up at meetings and protesting and it wouldn't have happened well we they never covered that meeting and so then no one knew it was happening so we we just saw it in our tax bill and that's where it's going you're 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 going to your, your taxes are going to go up you're going to uh, fewer people are going to vote and there's going to be a lot more problems in your community where politicians will be able to kind of do what they want. Do you see any path forward for local news? Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, you can get kind of uh, jaded by all this. Uh, but I think there are still people out there fighting the good fight. You know, I did a couple of speaking engagements up in Potsdam and Plattsburgh uh, this past week. And, you know, a couple of people say, hey, you know, we're doing this. We're doing this. And, and you know, it is. It's, it's there is some things. I think that it's we're going to go through a, a tough patch there. I think finding out what works is going to be, you know, I, I don't see print as a long term viable solution anymore. But I think there's going to be digital solutions. And once they can find a way to make money on that and, and really the readers uh, have to can citizens have to be willing to open their pocketbooks and spend for the good quality journalism. Journalism is expensive. It costs a lot of money to do those stories. And, uh, you know, we, we shot ourselves in the foot for too many years by charging 25 cents for a copy of the newspaper. It's, you know, it's, it, just producing it probably costs $3. Of course, now it is $3. But, uh, you know, I, I think that that's going to be a big part. You have to be willing to, to spend uh, for those subscriptions. And, you know, I always compare it to, hey, how much do you, do you spend on your cable bill? How much do you spend on your phone? You should be sending that type of money on your uh, news subscriptions. Well, speaking as the manager of a listener-supported radio station, that is music <laughs> to my ears. <laughs> uh, well, listen, Ken Tingley, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us, and uh, best of luck. Well, thank you. Ken Tingley was the editor of the Glens Falls Post-Star for 21 years until his retirement in 2020. His most recent book is called The Last American Newspaper. Today, Tingley and fellow Post-Star retiree Will Doolittle collaborate on a blog on the platform's substack called The Front Page, Upstate New York. You'll find a link from ncpr.org northwards. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Northwards. I'm Mitch Tyke. I hope you enjoyed our interview, and you can catch new content every Friday right here or wherever you get your podcasts. Find out more about Northwards and NCPR on our mobile app or at our website, ncpr.org. And while you're there, make a donation to support everything you hear on North Country Public Radio. Northwards is an NCPR podcast production. The program is written, recorded, and edited by Mitch Dyke with digital production supervision by me, Ethan Shanty. Music by the Whitmore Jazz Trio of Plattsburgh. To support this show and find more podcasts, visit ncpr.org. This is NCPR, North Country Public Radio.